Hello, everybody, and welcome back to KPMG in Canada's State of Crypto Assets podcast series. We are back with a very special episode focusing on fraud and financial crimes. For today's episode, I am elated to welcome Amrit Dev and Liesl Pistorius, Senior Managers in Forensics in studio for the first time to lead our discussion. How are you both doing today? Great. Thank you, Adam. Doing really well. Thanks, Adam. Really delighted to be here today. Well, the pleasure is all ours, and they are joined by someone who really needs no introduction, but hey, we'll give him one anyway. Kunal Basin, Director in Technology Risk Consulting and a mainstay on the podcast. Kunal, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Adam. Pleasure to be here. Thank you all so much. I'm going to get it started with our new guests on the podcast, Liesl and Amrit. I'd love to begin, as most superhero movies do, with your origin stories. How did you get into providing support for organizations with financial crimes and friends? Thanks, Adam. Hi, everyone. This is Amrit. I've been involved in forensic and financial crime space for the last six to seven years. When I first started with the forensic team in Toronto at KPMG, I was lucky to start my career in a field I've been passionate about since early on. I got introduced to the crypto asset industry while working in the enforcement division at the Ontario Securities Commission recently. Uh, And that's where I got hands-on experience on matters related to crypto. I worked on investigating various uh, rec poll scams, hacks, unregistered activity, market manipulation as it relates to the DeFi space. So I'm excited to be here today to talk about financial crime in the crypto asset industry with the rest of the team. And with that, I'll pass it off to Liesl. Wonderful. So thank you very much, Amrit. From my perspective, yeah, I've been also KPMG Senior Manager in Forensic for about eight years now. And I've ultimately been in the digital space for 14 years in my career, all with KPMG. And what first got me started working in in this space in particular was a a high value um, or high net worth family, ultimately, that that came to me with a huge problem one day um, in a very personal and emotional circumstance where they um, came to me asking, how do I recover my crypto asset investments? Like, I do not have access to these investments anymore. I do not know how to access them. And I don't even know if if any of these investments um, can be recovered at all. So through my passion and wanting to help these individuals trying to recover their crypto assets is, is really where my first play in this field started. And obviously just building on my forensic technology and incident incident response um, skill set that I've gained over the years in forensic um, as a forensic professional. So yes, that is how I'm hoping to continue to support many um, organizations as well as individuals in this space. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Two passionate individuals in studio with us today. So our first question really hinges on Is this really a thing? How prevalent is fraud and financial crime in the crypto asset industry? So happy to kick us off with this one. So financial crime definitely is a thing in this industry and has been on the rise over the last few years. Despite the market downturn, illicit on-chain transaction volume rose in 2022, hitting an all-time high of $20 billion. And this is according to the Chain Analysis 2023 Crime Report. 
What I found interesting about this 20 billion number is that it does not include the bankruptcies that we saw last year of several large crypto firms. All that is to say is that the 20 billion really underestimates the fraud and financial crime that has been going on in this industry. But what gives us forensic professionals hope is our ability to trace the illicit activity to a large extent. Because every transaction that is recorded on the blockchain is a permanent record of what happened and when. And this is something that has been cumbersome to do in the traditional finance uh, area, as we often deal with different entities that store data in different formats. So the ability to trace across the blockchain is how we're able to see that a large part of the 20 billion in illicit volume that I referred to earlier it can be attributed to transactions involving entities that were sanctioned last year, and I'm sure we'll touch on sanctions a little bit later today. Something else that we're seeing is the evolution of the type of financial crime in this space. It has moved on from hacks of centralized exchanges to increasing number of DeFi exploits, uh, with more than 50% of the ex exploits occurring at cross-chain bridges, according to Token Terminal. So overall, fraud and financial crime continues to be a risk in this area, especially given the typical controls that you'll find in TradFi, such as segregation of customer assets, custody controls, compliance with know your customer and anti-money laundering procedures are often lacking. But I'd love to hear Liesl's thoughts on this as well, so I'll pass it off to her. Yeah, so just to quickly add a little bit, um, a lot of you might be aware of, of how the digital environment has changed after the pandemic. And I don't want to go back to the pandemic, but ultimately a lot of how and what we do today from a digital perspective has changed quite drastically. And in the, in the broad and financial crime space, um, we have seen drastic increases. Amra just uh, quoted the chain analysis report, but among some of the cases that we do see some of the most common ways that crypto assets are really used to perpetrate some of these frauds and or financial crimes are amongst things like bribery or kickback kickback payments um, using cryptocurrency. It also is used to convert misappropriated assets into a form of cryptocurrency to quickly hide some of the, the, the misappropriated funds. Um, laundering some of the fraud proceeds using cryptocurrency and then also misappropriating cryptocurrency assets in general is some of the key things that we've seen. And we'll definitely be delving a little bit deeper into some of these topics as we continue through the podcast. Um, but I'm sure Kunal has some really valuable things to add as well. Kunal, over to you. Thanks, Lizelle. And um, I agree with all the points that you and Amrit mentioned. I think, you know, financial crime has existed in, in pretty much all forms of financial instruments uh, that have existed and crypto is no different. Um, you know, being a relatively new technology uh, and that can be used as a, as a means of payment and transfer of value across borders, it is definitely something that caught the eye of, you know, a lot of the illicit actors in the past. And, and continues to do so. But uh, at the same time, it's important to remember the transparency that's brought about by the nature of the technology itself allows for tracing, monitoring, and investigation of these illicit transactions. And even, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, avoiding involvement 
by institutions uh, in, in these illicit transactions is, is actually available uh, for, for a lot of the players in the space. So as, as much as I, I totally agree that, you know, the, the financial crime as it relates to crypto assets uh, and fraud uh, related to crypto assets is, is on the rise, um, it still provides us a much more incentive and I say us, it, I, by us, I mean like all of the institutions and regulators provide us incentive to come up with more regulatory clarity on how the AML programs and, and ATF programs within these organizations can be modified to, to monitor and track these illicit activities and keep a tab on these. Beautifully articulated, Kunal. And can we take a second to appreciate how Liesl just kind of cued you up with that? If she keeps that up, I'm going to be out of a job. So <laughs> maybe I'll do the next segue. Amrit, I'm coming to you with this one, okay? I want to talk a little bit about how crypto asset mixers work. I mean, 2022, we saw increased OFAC sanctions, right? But how does sanctioning mixers actually impact business risk? Thanks, Adam. I think Kunal alluded to this in his response. But before I answer your question about crypto mixers, I want to highlight the evolution of money laundering in the crypto space. When Bitcoin first came around, we thought it was untraceable and anonymous. This misconception has since been busted as we have seen many cyber criminals being caught in recent years thanks to the tracing techniques that are now aimed at reviewing on-chain movement of crypto assets. A recent example is US Department of Justice recovery of more than half of the 4.3 million ransomware payment that Colonial Pipeline paid in 2021. As a result, we have seen cyber criminals seeking new ways to enhance the pseudo-anonymity of their transactions and launder their illicit crypto assets. One such method relies on services known, at, known as cryptocurrency mixers or tumblers. This is not to say that the sole use of crypto mixers is money laundering. There are some legitimate uses as well that I won't get into here. So now to answer your question, what are crypto mixers? Crypto mixers are web-based services that mix your crypto assets with that of other users to obfuscate the source of funds. And they do this by using smart contracts that execute multiple combinations of transactions in various amounts, which result in the user receiving a final output that is connected to the mixer and not necessarily the address that deposited the funds. In this way, mixers break the chain of ownership and make the tracing of funds more difficult. So now to address the second part of your question on how sanctioning mix mixers impact business risk, let me start by explaining what sanctions are. Agencies like OFAC in the US and its equivalents in other countries implement sanctions against individuals and entities that are considered threats to national security. Traditionally, sanction informant Enforcement relies on the cooperation of mainstream financial institutions and now even compliant cryptocurrency exchanges. So as we alluded to earlier, 2022 saw an increased number of sanctions in the crypto industry. And one of the most notables, notable one of these was perhaps uh, Tornado Cash, which is a mixer best known for being used to launder funds stolen by cyber criminals associated with North Korea. Now, transactions associated with sanctioned services represent substantial compliance risks for businesses, including fines and potential criminal charges. And these fines can range from 
thousands of dollars to several million, including prison time of up to 30 years. Last year, we saw centralized exchanges entering into settlements with OFAC for their potential liability arising from transactions that were done by sanctioned entities on its platform. So sanction screening is becoming one of the increasingly important uh, controls for businesses with exposure to crypto assets. And that's a long-winded response to your question. But with that, I'll open it up to Kanal and Liesl to add anything further. Nope, no takers. Okay. And I'm just going to keep moving on here. So my next question, and Liesl, I want to come to you with this. I want to get a little bit closer to how criminals actually use crypto assets as part of the ransomware attacks. Maybe we just take it back. Let's start with just defining what is ransomware. Yeah, and that, that's a really, really great place to start, Adam. And and Amrit kind of started alluding to it when we talked about the crypto asset mixers. But first and foremost, ransomware in the space of crypto or ransomware in the space of just pure cyber is not different. It's exactly the same thing. So to your question in terms of what is ransomware in the first place, ransomware is basically malware that is designed to infiltrate an organization or an individual systems. So it is truly more targeted on organizations because ultimately it is aimed to, to target bigger and target and disrupt bigger corporations that has a much higher value. But ultimately it is it has two priorities. First and foremost, it is to disrupt operations. So truly taking control of the organization's data and information, locking it down so that nobody has control to that. But then secondly, is it is a way to facilitate some form of proceed or um, exfiltrate funds from that organization. So defining ransomware as it is today, ultimately crypto or not crypto, that is in short what ransomware is. Now, coming back to how do criminals use crypto assets as part of these ransomware attacks then in organizations, it's and how they use cryptocurrency specifically for that purpose is when these ransomware attacks get distributed and they get access to the organization's um, systems, they basically use the infected machines to present an option for that organization to say, you can pay me a ransom to unlock your system, but also not just unlock the system to not disclose what we call PII or um, which ultimately is private information. So anything that is associated to um, very secure and highly private individuals' information, like SIN numbers, bank account numbers, birth dates. Um, there's a range of, of that information that a lot of these organizations um, have in their custody. Um, so pay us the ransom to, to open up your systems and put you back in operation, but also pay us the ransom to not disclose or sell this data on the dark web. And ultimately, in exchange for the cryptocurrency, they then want to be able to do this is how they are now using crypto assets as part of ransomware attacks. So I don't know um, if there's anything else Kunal would like to add in terms of what he's seen in the in this space, um, specifically when it comes to some of these, these um, ransomware attacks, but we have definitely seen quite a, a, a drastic in increase in, in the incidents that we deal with day to day um, when it comes to ransomware for organizations and the fact that 
on my one hand, I can probably count um, when they actually ask for anything but crypto. Lately, it has definitely increased in, in terms of the, the ask for crypto, uh, just in what I've seen. And that might just be a, a little drop in the bucket. Yeah, no, that, that's a great uh, point, Lisa. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about ransomware, uh, the crypto assets that are demanded by uh, these these attackers and uh, illicit actors, um, and, uh, you know, just going by the chain analysis reports, a good portion of those assets are sent to uh, centralized exchanges, uh, you know, after through mixers um, and other B2B exchanges. But like, you know, at the end of the day, they need to convert this crypto to fiat. So it's just a matter of, you know, organizations, once they pay the ransom, hire some some investigators uh, that can investigate on-chain uh, transactions and see where the funds are going in order to be able to report those uh, to appropriate authorities as well. And uh, what I want to also mention is in, in cases like these, obviously, if the organization wants to keep it uh, within within the four walls of the organization and, and not disclose it, but in lately what we're seeing is organizations are starting to mention, you know, that they've been hacked and, and the attackers and they're, they're disclosing the wallet addresses that are being uh, identified by these illicit actors so that they can be tagged as illicit, uh, illicit crypto so that it becomes a lot more difficult for these actors to be able to convert that crypto back to fiat. Um, I don't know, Lisa, are, are you seeing that as well? Hundred percent, yes, and it and it almost starts playing into that space now, which is very similar to to the private information space in terms of um, having the obligation to ultimately report the the specific ransomware attack or or cyber hack that has occurred, because just as much as you have a bit of an obligation to report the 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 private information that has been exfiltrated from your systems you to an extent also now on the other side have a bit of an obligation to report the illicit funds that is now flowing through these exchanges back into the system that's a really great point and i think it's a perfect segue to my next question because i want to talk a little bit about direct exposure versus indirect in general how might crypto asset service providers be exposed to financial crime indirectly just to emphasize what Liesl and Kanal were saying about ransomware, a lot of what is happening in the crypto asset industry in terms of financial crime, um, some of which we already spoke about today, has been happening in the traditional finance space and has a lot of similarities. So typically we see entities getting directly impacted due to lack of controls that could lead to mismanagement or stealing of funds, money laundering, insider trading, etc. These are the types of financial crimes that we see in TradFi and we continue to expect seeing in the crypto space. Um, as you may see, same frauds, but new technology. Specifically, the crypto asset service providers may get exposed to financial crime indirectly through their illicit use of crypto gains and by laundering these crypto gains. As Kunal mentioned earlier, a lot of these perpetrators launder funds using centralized exchanges. So for example, a user may deposit illicitly obtained Ethereum tokens on a centralized exchange, swap it for Bitcoin or another crypto asset, and then withdraw these funds and convert them 
into a different token and break the chain of ownership. And this is referred to as chain hopping. And this is just one of the ways in which crypto asset service providers may be exposed to financial crime indirectly. I know Liesl has some great examples of this as well, so I will pass it off to her. 100% yes. And and again, I'm, I'm reverting back to a little bit of the technology side in terms of the ransomware. And if we kind of continue a little bit of that conversation, um, in this case, in terms of indirect exposure, is really where a client or an individual or an organization really unknowingly receives some of this illicitly obtained crypto assets. So going back to the ransomware example, um, an organization might have paid through crypto assets that ransomware um, to, to the illicit actor on the other side, which who then end up listing an NFT for sale. Um, from those proceeds that has been illicitly received and obtained. And as a result, this individual could unknowingly then ultimately um, buy that dis that that fiat that is then disposed of by the, the um, cr criminal party on the other end, unknowingly without truly understanding where that crypt crypto um, originated from and what the source of that crypto was. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to mentioned that you know although a lot of these service providers um especially the ones that are uh, registered with their primary regulators uh they all have to register as msbs uh, money services businesses so that they can comply with the the relevant aml and atf uh, regulations in their own jurisdiction they are required to monitor uh investigate and report on any suspicious transactions uh, now, you know, as part of their responsibility, they they have AML programs in place. That's why they got, you know, the license. They, these AML programs are assessed independently every two years. Um, so there, there's a lot of procedures that these service providers need to undertake in order to ensure that they're complying with uh, the relevant regulations for financial crime. But at the end of the day, Right, like there are certain challenges with these, with the monitoring and reporting of these transactions. So, you know, if if a illicit act, if an illicit actor transfers crypto uh, from that that you know they receive from a hack to a centralized exchange, um, and that centralized exchange would flag that transaction for investigation, but you know if they have that if they have the right tools in place, but Blacking the transaction doesn't mean that the system's gonna automatically investigate it or block that transaction. And if you take into account the number of transactions that happen on a daily or monthly basis, on especially these high volume exchanges, um, it, it is it is quite a, a cumbersome exercise to investigate all of those. And there is not enough resources at these service providers to be able to investigate and report on these illicit transactions in a timely manner. Sometimes, most times, in fact, it, it is too late where the actor has already converted, you know, the illicit crypto receive uh, and deposited into an exchange, either into a stable coin and then transferred into an external wallet or or some other transaction that obfuscates uh, their trail. And that's why it is difficult for, uh, these service providers to be able to report on these transactions 
and get the funds back for you know the affected actors in the space uh in a timely manner so that's one of the things that we're seeing quite a bit in the space where service providers are, are reaching out to companies like us for support in order to manage their you know day-to-day -day investigations and, and reporting as well just because there are very limited uh, investigation professionals uh, that can investigate crypto transactions and can report these transactions in a timely manner and you know this is not just for crypto asset service providers i would go as far as saying this is relevant for financial institutions or, or tradfi folks like the banks because guess what they are uh, facilitating transactions to higher end exchanges um and when i say transaction these are transactions like some customer transferred fiat to a higher risk exchange and those transactions are not being uh flagged or monitored or or blocked uh, before it's too late so even the banks in the tradfi space need to do sufficient uh you know undertakings and and make sure that they're you know complying with the regulations in order to monitor their exposure to crypto assets and especially in the high risk exchanges super interesting kunal you're painting a vivid picture and i'm quite frankly understanding the magnitude of the risk a lot more what type of crypto asset investigation and financial crime support services does KPMG in Canada offer? Yeah, so part of the answer lies in the question. Our forensic team offers asset tracing and investigation services. We bring a multidisciplinary team to the client as we have forensic professionals who bring the forensic accounting and dispute advisory lens to the investigation. We also have professionals from our crypto asset and enterprise blockchain practice, which is co-led by Kunal and his team, who provide the technical crypto knowledge on such investigations. We're also supported by a global network of professionals who specialize in corporate intelligence, forensic technology, data analytics. And I'll pass it off to Liesl to dive a little bit deeper into our forensic technology service offerings. And to add a little bit on to that, um, from from the the tracing and investigative procedures, there's always the technology side of it, and and this is truly where our forensic technology team, in in combination with our cyber response or cyber incident response team, really plays a big big role. And and I'm coming back a little bit to to my initial um, question where I answered you, Adam, where you asked like, why am I even doing this? Well, truly, I'm doing this to help. Because it is in, in, in my play, like my play of the world, um, I see so many times where organizations and individuals uh, get in trouble without really recognizing it fast enough. But then secondly, also not truly knowing where to start or who to call. So from a tracing perspective, we really give Amrit touched on the multidisciplinary team, but, but it's not just that. It is really an end to end support service that we provide as KPMG professionals, because we start with get, get, getting the evidence and gathering the artifacts from the forensic through forensic technology from every single device that possibly had access or did um, had interactions with that crypto. So that includes your computer, your mobile device, any possible IoT devices like a Google that you provided an instruction or Android that you provided an instruction to execute a certain transaction. 
also in addition to that, we then bring all of that home and 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 drill down in those artifacts to identify specific tracing of those transactions and also to be able to determine through some of our um, advanced analytics, networking analysis, as well as um, digital forensic analysis, processing those those the data from the, gathered from those devices to understand the interactions with some of the wallets, with some of the exchanges, um, and with anything or any other party out there, a phishing email, for example, that came in that a user clicked on. So once we essentially see that, it helps us in in truly understanding the means of where it all came from and put a, an event timeline together to be able to identify and then trace the crypto through end to end so that we are able to recover your crypto or to assist you in, in understanding the risk and not necessarily making the same mistakes in future by clicking that phishing email or by um, falling for, for that ransomware attack um, without having the appropriate um, controls in place in your systems. So we don't necessarily just leave you with, yes, we got your crypto, we recovered it, it's all good. We also help you to close some of the gaps in the, at, at the end of it. Yep. And I, I would just, you know, the way I look at it, uh, just from a crypto asset and blockchain center of excellence standpoint, where we work with, you know, our, our multidisciplinary teams across Canada and across the globe, um, we have access to several crypto intelligence tools um, that are either in use by various crypto asset service providers or uh, mainstream banks, as I mentioned earlier, and and we have you know, professionals that are certified in those investigations and transaction monitoring as well. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, if you're an organization that deals in crypto and especially uh, provide uh, any sort of crypto exchange or custody services, um, you need to have an AML program in place. You need to have resources to be able to, you know, monitor, investigate, and report on suspicious transactions. And... As I mentioned earlier, it's not always easy to do that in a timely manner, and that's that's the kind of service that we can provide. Um, we provide day-to-day -day investigations. We provide day-to-day -day monitoring of transactions. Uh, provide you know, providing any sort of suspicious transaction reporting or SARS uh, that we need to do. Even identifying if you're an organization that's new to this journey. So even if you want to help, want help and designing your AML program uh, to be able to comply with all the regulations uh, and not just comply as a checklist exercise, but actually support, uh, you know, in, in investigating these illicit activities uh, over the blockchain. So we, we can help you design those programs and uh, operationalize those programs as well. So, you know, and these services, to be honest, are not new services. KPMG has been providing these services for traditional financial crime and AML departments uh, for years. And we just bring a crypto lens to it, uh, leveraging our, our skills and expertise and the tools that we have access to uh, in order to provide these services with a crypto angle uh, at the end of the day. Now, you know, it's been an insightful discussion when I'm frantically trying to write things down, tips here on the side. 
Truthfully, each one of your answers makes me want to dig even deeper. But given that my well of curiosity is pretty unlikely to run dry, it's probably best that we wrap today's discussion here for today. Thank you, Amrit, Liesl, and Kunal. It's been such a lively discussion today. Appreciate you so much. Thank you very much, Adam. It was lovely. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And to all of our awesome listeners, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to join us next time on KPMG in Canada's series on the state of crypto assets. Bye, everybody.